0: All right, well, good afternoon, everybody, and uh, happy new year. Welcome to The Well. Uh, My name is uh, Pastor Alex, and I'm one of the elders here at The Well. And I just want to thank everybody uh, for joining us for our first Sunday of 2023. Uh, For the next two weeks, uh, including today, we're going to have two standalone sermons. And then on January 15th, we're going to begin our brand new series in 1 Corinthians. Uh, And so I want to encourage you uh, to join us next Sunday. this Pastor Jonathan will be uh, preaching, and then after that, the following week, that's January 15th, we'll begin our new series, and Pastor Al will be preaching from there forward. And so but today, uh, specifically we'll be looking at the parable of the talents. And so go ahead and uh, now, if you'd like it, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 25 uh, verses 14 to 30. Um, If't If you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and raise your hand. one of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. You can take it and keep it. Um, But that's Matthew 25, and we're going to look at verses 14 to 30. Uh, Before we begin, though, I want to pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and get into the text. Um, Would you pray with me? Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your perfect word. Thank you for your truth Thank you for the gift of grace to us and the gift to know you through your word. Um, I am and we are such flawed people and we need your help. And so we ask, oh God, that you would speak clearly and powerfully to us. We ask in Jesus' name that you would change our hearts, that you would convict us, oh God, and that um, you would be made much of. We thank you for your kindness to us in which is in fact, made to meant us or meant to lead us to repentance, and so would you do that today? We love you, and in Jesus' name, we ask and pray all this. Amen. And so, I want to be clear as we begin on a couple things um, as we look at our text, which is in fact a parable, the parable of talents. The first being a parable, we have to remember is essentially it's a brief fictional narrative or story meant to communicate a, a specific lesson. Okay. And then second, Jesus is communicating to his disciples here in our text. So that's those that follow him. He's speaking to people who know him, who love him, who trust him, right? And so therefore, what Jesus is teaching, it's not a suggestion. He's not making suggestions to us. It's declarative, and it should be obeyed. Um, And so what we're going to see in our text today is that God is the master, and like the master in the story that goes on a long journey, Jesus, too, has come. He has lived a perfect and blameless life, died and has resurrected and is alive, ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father, and has, in fact, entrusted all of us with everything that we have. Jesus is away, but he will, like the master, he will return. And so the question today is, will you be found faithful upon his return, or will you waste and squander what Jesus has given you? And so let's go ahead and read our text, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. It says, For it would be like a man going on a journey who has called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew I I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so our first point today, and you should see it on the screen, is God has entrusted his property to us. Everybody, God has entrusted his property to us. Verse 14, he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey. And so what Jesus is speaking to is the reality that like the man, Jesus will be leaving and he will return. But in the meantime, there is a posture that we're going to get into and we're going to see that those waiting on Jesus must take there is a way to wait and to be faithful while we wait. That's what the whole parable is about. And so how we wait and watch correctly is what Jesus is getting at here. And he starts by explaining it to us this way, and he's, that it's like a man going on a journey for a while, and he calls his servants and he entrusts everything he owns to them. So this, was this very, in a very small way, could be like the people, if you own pets... You leave town, you can't take them with you. You have to ask somebody, would you watch the pets? Would you watch the house? Can you make sure you water the plants? You entrust many things to them and then maybe even re- reward them upon your return, right? But you're, you're entrusting your things to them while you're away. And so continuing verse 15, it says, To one he gave five, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. And so he uses this word in the text. He says Jesus uses the word talent. We see right in this context. This is simply the master's money or property in the parable. For you, for you and I, it could be that God has in fact entrusted you with money. I would would say yes, and or property. But the talents that you have, but but for you, the talents that you have are absolutely anything, anything that God has given you or anything that you have in your possession. Essentially, the man, the master, he disperses everything he has to his servants. Um, It's estimated, though it is a parable by some, that the total amount in in the parable, the talents that are given out is close to $2 million today. And so you'll notice as well that each servant is given different amounts. They're not, the, the talents that are dispersed are not equal. The reason that is given, we see in the text, is very clear. The master gives, he says to each according to his ability, meaning the master has some sense of who these people are, of who his servants are, and their giftedness, and their wiring. Like he knows them. And so he gives each, he gives according to their ability, he gives to each of them in wisdom not out of partiality to one and another, not maliciously, like he likes this one, he hates that one, but actually out of love and generosity with each servant in mind. And so I, I, I say this because I want to remind us, church, that as we read this, I, I would get, I'd imagine we thought something along the lines of, of where we're going here that maybe I, maybe I don't have the favor like that person does. But the, but the reminder is, church, that the God of the universe, the God of the universe has entrusted each of us with different amounts. And so when you're tempted, maybe as someone that you feel yourself to be, a, a, maybe I'm a one or talent two or talent person, you, you're tempted to look around, you complain, you covet and you envy someone with perhaps three or five or four talents. Remember, you're good and loving Father in heaven. The God of the universe is the one who has given generously to you. He has. He didn't, he didn't make a mistake. So be grateful. Be a faithful steward with what you've been entrusted with. If you have five talents, you, you, feel, gener, you feel generously blessed by the Lord. If you, if you have much, don't boast in anyone or anything but the Lord. Know that all of it belongs to God and you are merely a steward of what God has given you. And so regardless of where we land there, we must remind ourselves that we've all been entrusted with things that the Lord has given. It has nothing to do with the value he has for you and I personally. Meaning someone who has five talents in the text or in our context, is not more love than someone who perhaps has four or three talents. So this, like the servants, our value, it's established. It's been established if we're in Christ and is secured through the perfect and completed, finished work of the cross. That's good news. It's amazing. And so what's happening here is that out of an abundance of impartial Unconditional, genuine, authentic love, God entrusts all of us with what belongs to God. He's giving it on a loan to us. Colossians, it won't be on the screen, Colossians 1.16 says it this way, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. The man, like God, has entrusted all that he has to us, all that you have. He's entrusted his property to you. And this, this should blow our minds. This is amazing because if we look back all the way to Genesis 3, where our father Adam was entrusted with something, he was given dominion, he was given responsibility with God's stuff, all the way to now we fall short of, just like our father Adam, we fall short of being faithful stewards. And God's response is what? He gives. He still gives generously. That's amazing. And so, if you're asking yourself, well, what's God entrusting me with? I, I, don't, I don't know that I, I'm there yet. What is God entrusting me with? The answer is everything. It's everything. It's everything that you have, material or not. Everything. We, Our body, we belong body and soul to God. Your spouse belongs to God. Your kids belong to God. Your most cherished possessions. And then the least ones. The the least cherished possessions belong to God. The time, the 24 hours that we all have belongs to the Lord. Your skills, your talents, your giftings, how you're wired, it's all from the Lord. And your money belongs to God. And so I hope we hope it's abundantly clear. Every, there's nothing that you have, that we have, that doesn't belong to the Lord. It's from the Lord. It's all God's. He's the ultimate owner of everything, and he's entrusted it to you. This also includes the Lord Jesus himself. We see, we know, in John 3.16, he declares, God gave his one and only Son and the Lord God himself also declares in Luke one thirty three that his kingdom, it's going to have no end. And so this man, Jesus, was given and sacrificed in your place for your sins. And so the question is, So we have to start with, is what are you doing with the knowledge and the person and the work of Jesus? The fact that Jesus died in your place for your sins, that you might know and love God? What are you doing with that reality? Because as we see in the parable, Jesus will not return just for his stuff. More importantly, he's going to return for you. And so how we answer that question matters. But the idea here, again, is that God has entrusted all that we have to us that we might steward it in such a way that it honors and pleases the Lord Jesus. That's the goal. And so what God has entrusted to us as well it's not meant to be worshipped. It's meant to lead us to be worshiping Jesus. But it begs the question that we all we need to all answer is one, what has God given me? That list might be long, that's okay. What has God given me? And then What am I doing with what God has given me? Everything you have is on a loan from God. What are you doing with what he has given you? Verses 16 to 18, they give us a a small picture of some ways in which we can steward what God has given us. Jesus says, verse 16, He who has received the five talents went away, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So two of the servants we see, they took what they were given and invested it pretty quickly and got double what the amount that they started with upon their return, upon the master's return, recognizing what they had, what they'd been given, the responsibility that they had. They considered how to trade and make some sort of, of investment to get a return and it wasn't we're not we're not going for and what they weren't going it's not selfish gain but as a means to faithfully steward what they had and therefore honor their master the third servant we see he took what he was given and he buried it and so the time the talent treasure you have they're from the lord again the question we have to wrestle with here is what am i doing with it What am I doing? Am I stewarding these things in such a way that it would please the master upon his return? It's not, I want to be, it's not about, we're not trying to work and invest and get a return and earn God's favor and earn God's love. It's established. There's no point. God has given you and I his son Jesus. That alone we should marvel at as a miraculous gift. Your value is established. This is about the fact that God has entrusted each of you to faithfully steward what you have in such a way that it honors the Lord and advances his kingdom. I heard a pastor say this way one time. He said that we need men and women and families that are willing to invest and give and labor and work for fruit they may never see. On this side of heaven, on this side of eternity. So part of this <clears throat> part of this is true, but what's great for us, what's great for you and I, is that you actually do, you already have, and you, and you will, if you're faithful stewards, get to enjoy the fruit of your labor. And that's good, and that's okay, and that's great. But, but, it, but it implies that we're faithful laborers. right? So easy example is, if you have kids and you love the Lord Jesus, the call and the responsibility entrusted to you is to raise your children to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to trust him. And by God's grace, they won't just borrow your faith, but as God reveals to them who he is, that they would be saved disciples of Jesus. But that doesn't, that's not just happen. Like you don't just wake up one morning, like the Christmas presents that pop up there, not really, right? But like, you you have to take time to teach them who God is. You have to lab, you have to labor. It's, there's work that's involved, but you can do that. Think about any category of your life, anything that you've been entrusted with, and ask yourself, what does the Bible, what does God say about how I should steward this, my relationship, my work, my time. What is God calling me to do with this relationship? What's he calling me to do with my money? Where is he calling me to invest? And so I want to I encourage us. The answer isn't go get the self-help book. The answer as we seek to obey and gain wisdom here is we have to lean on the scriptures. We have to as we seek to obey and to be faithful stewards. The responsibility that each of you, each of us have, is, is, it's, it's great. It is a big responsibility. But our responsibility is to be faithful, diligent stewards. And we have to trust and know that God is the one we see in the scriptures. He will be the one to provide the growth, provide the fruit. We have to trust him as we obey to steward all things well. And so God has entrusted you with all that you have. Don't bury it. Steward what you have well. Let's keep going. Verse 19, Jesus says, Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he, he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over it. little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had the two, Talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me the two talents. Here, I've made two, two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so our second point <clears throat> is that God will reward faithful stewardship. God will reward faithful stewardship. And so here's the deal. The man we see in the text he entrusts what he has to these servants, and he leaves. He doesn't I'm going to be gone for a month. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't say, he just does not say how long he'll be gone, nor when he's going to return. We just see he, that he goes away. And then additionally, we see that upon his return, the man is looking to see what the servants did with what he, what, what he gave them, right? So the servant, we see in verse 20 and 21, the servant took what was given, invested it, and they doubled what he started with. And the master says what? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And this happens again with the next servant. And so I want us to see that the actions of the first and the second, they were the same. They took what God had given them responsibility for. And they stewarded it Well. The amounts that they were given were different as well, right? One got a certain amount of talent, the other one got less. And the amount that they yielded in the end was also different. Yet the master's response was the same to the both of them. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so I say this because I hope we see it's not about how much you have, nor about how much you don't have, or how much you end up with upon his return. Rather, it's faithfulness to steward well what you have, and the result is reward. God is rewarding, and he does reward faithfulness here, not Productivity. I'm not saying it's bad to be productive. I love being productive. It's not bad to be productive and work hard. Absolutely not. This is actually, if we're looking, if we're reading this text, it's in, in, this is in fact how these servants stewarded and produced what they had. See, faithfulness and productivity are actually connected. They're not mutually exclusive, but connected. But faithfulness and trust in the Lord comes first. Because we're simply, if we, if we become, if we operate in, we're simply people that are only productive, just productive, and our hearts are numb and they're distant from the, from the Lord God, and we've missed it. We recognize who God is, what he's given us, and then we aim to honor him as we faithfully steward what he's given us. And again, God is the one that we have to trust that he's going to be the one to provide the growth. But we have to be the faithful steward. And therefore, there's labor. We're being productive. And so God is calling you and I to steward well in light of who he is. We steward well what we have in light of who God is. It's about being faithful, not necessarily being more productive than the person to, the right or your, to your right or your left. That's not our. That's not our aim. <clears throat> as I was writing this, this came to mind. So I want to just pause and just be honest with uh, with you, church. One, I love you guys. I do. Um, I'm proud of, of every of all of you. I mean, I'm incredibly grateful for you and your families. Um, as as I was, like I said, taking time to to to, to work through the text. Talk to the elders a bit, and and considering our people, um, we agreed that we have some of the most faithful, hardworking, diligent, servant-hearted people in the city. Like, we do. And I I promise I'm not just saying this. We're we're just not a church full of people that are bearing their talents left and right. We're just not. That's not not a mark of our church. It's the opposite. And by God's grace... I've seen, and we've, in all, so many of you, you've taken what God has given you and you have invested it and you have stewarded well what God has given you. I believe that. And so I just want to say thank you to all of you who faithfully steward well what God has given you. I'm proud of you and well done. Let's keep going and let's keep being faithful stewards of, of all that the Lord has given us. But as you consider and you continue to evaluate and think through this, how do I faithfully steward the things God has given me? The reality is, is we're going to have to take some time to think through this. We're going to have to take time to think and to pray and consider what has God given me and what do I need to do with it? You're going to have to make time to think through what do you need to keep doing. What do you need to change a bit? And what do you need to prune? What do you need to get rid of altogether? It's the new year. It's perfect time to do this. If you haven't made your resolutions yet, you can still add. You add on to them. But I want to encourage you, don't make this like a, one, a one-off a one thing. Don't make this every new year I, I I value, I take time to do this. Make it a regular rhythm. We need moments either during the week or in the month, throughout the year, to ask the Lord what he wants us to change. Do I need to rest more? Do I need to reevaluate the priorities that God has given me dominion over? And maybe it's not every single week, and you give it a little more time, but perhaps it's the end of, the, end of every month. Either you, if you're single, are sitting down looking at everything that God has given you responsibility over, or if you, if you have a spouse, you're sitting down together and considering that. If you have kids, if you have the family, same thing. But you're taking time to think and to pray and ask the Lord God, how do I steward well? What do I need to change? What do I need to do, Lord? In John 15, we get a a great picture of this. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm not going to get into the, the fine details of it, but we get a picture of this vine dresser who is working on the vines. He's trying to get some fruit, he's laboring to do that. There's pruning involved, so he's getting rid of things altogether. There are parts of the vine and the plant that must stay, that are essential, right? And then there are some things, some small things that do here and and there need to change a bit so the vine can continue to bear fruit. But pruning is required so that it would bear fruit. And so the parts that are not bearing fruit, cut them off and get rid of them. I also want to say this specifically to the men, to the husbands, to the fathers. God has given you both headship in your home as you submit to God and the responsibility to lead those around you, including your family. So this is huge. If you punt on your responsibility to be a faithful steward of what God has given you, to lead, to love according to the scriptures and serve well, it will ruin not just you, it's going to ruin your loved ones, your family. And so you must be the one to look at how you and your family are doing and consider what is God clearly saying that needs to be pruned? What is God clearly saying that we need to cultivate, We need to keep doing, keep investing here? What is God clearly saying we have to keep and obey. Trust the Lord Jesus. I'm not, I, I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying this because as I, again, consider the text and our men, I think that we have this prevalent issue of disobedient, poor men, husbands, fathers. That's not what it is, but rather the opposite. To encourage you to keep doing what you're doing, leading well, faithfully steward what God has given you according to the Scriptures. Keep going. Keep stewarding. Keep Leading, the reward is coming. And so the reward, as we see in the text, it's great too. Not only will we, by God's grace, see the fruit of our labor, uh, and not only is it that the servants will be given more because they've been found to be faithful, trustworthy servants, but also they will receive, as we see in the text, it says the joy of being in the presence of their master. And this is a great reward. And so what this pointing, is pointing to is twofold, and I hope it excites us. One, we're literally practicing for heaven. In eternity, we will be responsible for certain things and will be tasked with stewarding them well. So we're literally preparing for eternity. That's amazing. And then two, Jesus is pointing to this reality that he says that the reward to come will be enjoying the presence of our king, For all of eternity, he says, enter into the joy of your master. And I don't know about you, but what better reward and joy is there to be than to be in the presence of our great and mighty King Jesus? And so, God will reward faithful stewardship. He will. We may not see the fruit of of, of that immediately on this side of eternity. But we can bank on the fact, for sure, that we will enjoy the reward to come in eternity with our great and mighty King. And so we've talked, we've seen that the reality that God entrusts us with everything that we have, with his property, his stuff. And we've seen that those that are faithful, God has given, those that are faithful, God has given, he's going to reward them in this life and certainly in the life to come. So we're gonna look at the third servant who isn't filled. He's He's not a faithful steward, but he's filled with fear and he buries his talent. Verse 24, Jesus says, he goes on, "'He also who had received the one talent "'came forward saying, "'Master, I knew you to be a hard man, "'reaping where you did not sow "'and gathering where you scattered no seed. "'So I was afraid, "'and I went and hid your talent in the ground.'" Here, have what is yours, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was mine with my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. And so our third point is this, is how we view God Dictates our stewardship. How we view God dictates our stewardship. And so I I think at this point, it's clear there's a clear contrast, there's a clear difference between the first two servants and then the third, right? And so much of it greatly hinges on the reality of how they view their master. We see this in the text. And we shouldn't, <clears throat> we shouldn't be that surprised by the actions of the third servant that we see because he doesn't know his master. He doesn't know him. He, in fact, has a massive misunderstanding of who his master is. He has an unhealthy fear of his master. He believes, as we see in the text too, that his master's actions to reap and sow, they're wrong. It's not okay, that's not okay what he did. And so because of these many things, these many lies that he has believed and then operated out of, he becomes slothful and he does nothing with what he's been entrusted. I want us to see the problem the third servant finds himself in is one of the heart. His heart is declined to the Lord, to the master. His heart doesn't trust his master. The reality is, like the servant, church, you cannot blame God or others for how you posture your heart towards God. Nor can you blame God for your poor stewardship of what you've been given. This is what the third third servant does, right? One commentator said it this way. He says, inaccurate views of God allow us to rationalize our own irresponsibility and unfaithfulness. And this is not here, but this, this is with everything you, we have, with everything that the Lord God has given us. It matters how we steward it. it mat- we should be looking, in fact, at the things that we deem non-important we should definitely be looking at those. Because if our practice is, let me just worry about the big things, let me just worry about my children, let me just worry about my wife or myself, and then the rest of your life you're an awful steward, I don't know if that would be counted as faithful stewardship. should ask that question. But true diligence, true faithfulness, true obedience Hinges on an accurate view of the Lord God, and so I want to ask you. There's a lot of questions here, but how do you view your Father in Heaven? Do you believe Him like the third servant to be a hard man? Do you believe Him to be tired of you, to be disappointed in you, like the third servant? Do you have an unhealthy fear of your Father in Heaven? Do you rationalize and away your own irresponsibility in any ways? Do you rationalize your own poor stewardship or neglect to obey? And I'm not—I don't want to. Sh- this isn't a shame thing. It's—if it's, it's, that's where you're at, that's okay. It's okay to have wounds. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be like, "Yep, that's me. That's me all the way." It's okay to be frustrated with the Lord. But the thing is is it's not okay to stay there and like the third servant it's not wise and it's not godly as a result to be slothful to be lazy and then when he returns to pass the blame on someone or something else as a result of how you feel of your the posture of your heart and so the, the reality is <clears throat> God loves you church God has not disowned you because you made poor stewardship mistakes. He's in fact very much for you. The guilt, the lies of disappointment, that's not from the Father in heaven. He delights in you. And though maybe this is true, you might have operated out of all of those feelings, all of that fear, all of those things that are untrue this past year. You had a poor perception of who God the Father is and you see how that's affected your stewardship you realize in the past 6-12 to months you made some poor decisions you need to know God is not disappointed in you God's mercy and His grace for you are real so I encourage you receive the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus know that God may in fact be using your circumstances to gradually teach you and grow you to be a better, faithful steward of what he's given you. And I 100% say this, that we have to stay tethered and anchored in Jesus. If, if, if we're going, man, well, how do I be a better steward? I'm, I'm hearing something. Is there a silver bullet? Perhaps it might be this. Stay tethered to Jesus. Be so near Jesus, stay anchored in Christ, and then from there, follow in obedience to Jesus. But we have to stay tethered to him if we want to obey Jesus and be good stewards. We we really cannot hope to be faithful stewards of what God has given us if we're detached from the one who gives. It's hopeless. And the reality is oftentimes, though, right, we're automatically, we find ourselves like the third servant, filled with fear, not with faith. We start with fear. We're concerned, we're scared, and that locks us up. And what do we do? Nothing, because we believe, man, if doing nothing means I didn't do the wrong thing, but we need to see that's disobedience. We need to see that we fight that fear with faith in Jesus. And so we remind ourselves who God is, and trust that as we obey, he will provide, and he will give growth as we obey. But this really is a hard to experience if we're distant from the Father, if we're detached. There is a I think direct correlation with having a heart and mind that is daily transformed by God and His word in faithful stewardship. I'm not saying there's perfection. It's not what, I'm not saying by doing that, you therefore all faithful stewardship, it's perfect. Never got to worry about this one again. I'm saying again, the point that I've been trying to make is how we view God dictates our stewardship. Therefore we need a right view of the Lord, God. And so how do you get a right view of, the, of God? You spend time with him. You read his word. You talk to him. I really will beat this drum until I die. I, I don't care because Christians that hope to be faithful stewards with what they have, what they neglect, to know Jesus more and more, they've missed it. That's not how it works. We have to be anchored in God's word if we hope to be obedient because how we view God dictates our stewardship. Before we move on, this section, verses 24 to 28, it elicits two responses we see that the ma- uh, when the master returns. We see the master returns, and because the third servant was not faithful, he gives what he had to the other servants. We see that in the text. And then additionally, in the next two verses, we'll get to in a bit, the third servant, he's cast away, right? So he, the servant loses what he has, it's taken from him, and he's cast away. That's the result. There's two groups of people. One group might see this and go, "Man, he's harsh. That's mean. I think he should get another chance." The master should be more patient. The master should do this. The master should do that. The master should give him another shot. And you know what? He should he should give he he should get to keep what he has. We should give more, more to be faithful with. Pour it on. This is foolish. This thinking, this logic is foolish. Because literally, because what we, this means is we're literally rewarding bad behavior and poor stewardship. I don't even know how the conversation goes. Bad job, here's more. Like what? The master would be a fool to reward the servant upon blatant disobedience. The second group of people look at the third servant and the consequence he receives. And they not only agree with the master, but they're like, they're shaking their heads and their self-righteous disbelief. They're like, oh, I can't believe he did that. And they're like, Yeah, Amen. Yeah. Give him that consequence. Cast them away. And they're they're uh, they're full support with the master's consequence while actively being poor stewards themselves. So they agree with how the master deals with the third servant while not acknowledging any of their own disobedience. The problem here is that the master has been clear 100% about what he's giving. He's been clear about his servants, what they're supposed to do. He has not been unclear, unjust, nor has the master been impatient. God has done this for us, church. He's done this for you and I. He's been abundantly clear. And he is incredibly patient with us. And so, where do you find yourself? Group one, group two, somewhere else? In between how we respond, though, to what Jesus says here matters so much, again, because how we view God dictates our stewardship. And so Jesus ends this parable, final two verses, and he says, verse 29, For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has, it will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our our final point, our last point this afternoon is God is passionate about his kingdom. He is. God is passionate about his kingdom. I'd imagine maybe for some of you upon reading these final two verses, 29 and 30, you, you might argue, man, it kind of looks like God is just really passionate about his stuff. But we only reach that conclusion if we forget why Jesus has said everything he's already said the past 16 verses. So remember, this whole parable is about how Jesus instructs us to posture ourselves and then what action we must take while we wait for him to return. So we've seen that how we steward, what we have is of utmost importance, and ultimately we should be kingdom-minded about what we do with what we have. And so really what we're looking at is the fact that God is incredibly passionate about his kingdom. And now, this may I, I imagine as well that some of us might resort really quickly. Let me let me do this all external action, and you're just ready to go. Like you don't you don't need to pray at all, you're just ready to go. God has wired you in an amazing way. That's great. But we see a fault we may have and we seek to immediately correct it externally. Again, I want to remind us: if we do this over time, the fact that Jesus' kingdom is even a thought, it won't, it won't be. It'll be all external work. And if over time, what can happen is we become really great at doing stuff and become disconnected from Jesus and his mission. And so some of us, like myself, probably need to take time to pause and pray and be reminded again that faithful stewardship flows from a heart that is anchored in Christ. Faithful stewardship flows from a heart anchored in Christ. And so to say God is passionate about his kingdom is to say God is passionate about seeing more people saved that know him, that love him, that trust him. God's passionate about rescuing and redeeming people, not possessions. He already owns it's all his. He owns it all. We know that everything we have is his. But there's a reward to those that are faithful and a reprimand we see to those who are not. Not only do the unfaithful lose what they've been given, but they lose the presence of Jesus. We see that in verse 29 and 30. This is not because they were legitimately saved and as a result of bad stewardship, they lose their salvation. It's not what I'm saying. Rather, we see in the parable there's a distinction that is made between the first two servants and the third one. And that distinction, that being that the third servant, he did not know his master. He did not know God. How they stewarded what they had revealed who they worship. And again, it's not works-based salvation, like do good works, get your salvation, keep it, keep stewarding well, keep it. We see ultimately the third sermon, he just did not know God, and his actions revealed that truth. And so the reality is, church, is that the king's kids should reflect our king in everything we say and do. The king's kids should steward what God has given them in a way that honors and pleases the Lord God and is about Jesus and his mission. The king's kids should steward everything as we, that we have in, a, in accordance with the scriptures. And so God is passionate about his kingdom. We should be too. It's our job to be faithful with what we've been given. And then in prayer, trust God to give the growth. And then when we are faithful, we actually make evident to everybody else the God we worship. And so, as we respond, church, more than anything, I want us to see that God is patient. He's a patient God. Our God is a benevolent God. He's patient, he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and grace. And so, do we fail to be perfect stewards of everything that he's given us? Yes. But is the grace and mercy of God real? For us too, 100%. And his desire for you and I is that we would see the invitation that he has given us to know him and to be a part of his kingdom because ultimately it's all about Jesus, it's about his mission. I hope we see that God is the master. And like the master in the story, Jesus has come and he has gone, but he is resurrected. He is alive and he has entrusted you with everything you have. And Jesus will return, church. The question is, will you be found faithful or will you waste and squander what God has given you? The time to repent and obey and be faithful with what you have is now. Don't wait for Jesus' return. For it will be too late. The invitation and the way we respond today is that we must plead with God to help us see how we can use all that He's given us to worship Him, to honor Him, to advance His kingdom, and to be faithful stewards. Don't bury what God has given you, steward it well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. Thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for the many gifts that you've given us. Thank you for the time and the talent and the treasure that you have loaned us. And thank you for being a great father to us. Help us, O oh Lord to steward well what you've given us. Help us to see where we need to change things, where we need to prune things, and what we need to keep. What do we need to keep doing? Father, would you help us to work, to labor, and to steward from the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus and not for it? Would you form us more into the image of your son this week, Father? We love you and pray and ask all this. In Jesus' name, amen.